Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. There is a birthright and a blessing for the people of God. Somebody say amen. amen. We have been given the right to rule as kings, Revelation 1.6, not over men or each other, but over sin in the kingdom of darkness. We have been given inheritance of a sinless life, a life marked by righteousness and holiness. We have been given the authority of the King of Kings to speak and overcome sickness, demons, and over all the power of the enemy. How many of you want to walk in the blessings of God? How many of you want to lay claim to the birthright our Heavenly Father has granted to us? This morning I want to talk about what keeps us from moving in or obtaining the birthright and blessing that we have been granted. Many Christians simply do not lead pure and holy lives. We attempt to cast out demons and break the bondage of the enemy's strongholds, yet our efforts often, far too often fail. Our attempts to storm the gates of hell often result in defeat instead of victory, or at least a stalemate. But it should not be so. Demons should flee at the mention of the name of Jesus. Sin has no right to operate in our lives. The gates of hell should be overrun as quickly as David overran Goliath in battle. We are, by the new birth, victors and not victims. Amen? So where does it sometimes go so wrong? Would you stand as we read from Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it, is, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. You may be seated. If we are going to experience the promised blessing, you must be, able, you must be willing to wrestle with God like Jacob did, the man of promise. You must look upon your spiritual birthright with wonder and thanksgiving and esteem it as something to be protected, unlike Esau did, the man of flesh. Now that scripture, if you're not making the connection, maybe you're new to church. We talk about Rebecca, she's pregnant, and within her are two men, Esau and Jacob. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at this story in Genesis. For many of you, it's a familiar story. These were real men and real events, but they tell us a spiritual principle, a spiritual story that is really the story of each of our lives. You see, because just like in, in Rebecca, there were these two men that were struggling with each other. A man of promise and a man of flesh. There is a man of promise and a man of flesh that struggles within each one of us. As we read in the New Testament, we are to put off the old man, Esau, the man of flesh, and put on the new man, the man of promise, Jacob. We are to walk by the what? By the Spirit. And not by flesh, not by sight. 
Again, there's two people in each one of us. I thought to myself, well, that explains this. I'm not fat. There's just two of me in there. But listen again to the words we read moments ago. Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you. Again, each of us is pregnant with a Jacob and an Esau. Within us, these two beings, two people are locked in a life and death struggle for supremacy. One, again, is a man of promise, Jacob, while the other is a man of flesh, Esau, as we will see. And again, these two beings within us, these two separate natures, one being born of sin while the other being born of the Spirit of God, they fight for supremacy within us. They struggle inwardly within us. The Apostle Paul spoke of this very thing I'm talking about in Colossians 3, verses 8 through 10. Listen to what he says. He says, Now put you also off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. There again is the old man of sin, Esau, the man of flesh that is present in us all. Anybody ever deal with temptation? Some kind. We all deal with it. That's the flesh, the old man struggling within us. Just like Rebecca, we feel this struggle within us. Esau, the man of flesh, struggles with Jacob, the man of promise. Now, Rebecca, she feared, and, and I don't know if you caught this from, from the, uh, the passages we read there in Genesis 25. She feared that there was such a struggle going on in her womb that these twins, these boys, would die. Well, guess what? One of the natures in us must die. Only one can live. Who will it be? Which one of these two natures within us will conquer the other? What I want to do today for a few minutes is describe the character of each man, Jacob and Esau. Again, one was born of the spirit, the born of promise. The other was born of the flesh. For in them we can see the character of the one who receives the birthright and blessing, the thing that all of us said we want to see present in our lives. And we will see the one who longs to be blessed, but despises the birthright, and in doing so loses both blessing and birthright. Now the Jewish commentators on the book of Genesis says that while Rebekah was pregnant with Jacob and Esau, again, the twins, they struggled, they fought within her. She was afraid she would miscarry and lose the babies. And they say, now this is Jewish commentary, that it led her to the home of Melchizedek, the king and priest of Salem that we read about in Genesis. And it was there that he prophesied that she would have the twins and that the older would serve the younger, that one would be greater than the other. This went against the common practice of the eldest son receiving the birthright and headship of the family. Now, remember, this is in the Jewish commentaries and not the Bible. However, it is hinted at in the scripture that we read. The Bible says that Rebekah did what? She went to inquire of the Lord. Now, it doesn't say where, but it does indicate that she went someplace, someplace that she knew 
that she could hear an answer from the Lord. Now, the Jewish commentary also says, and again, this is not Holy Scripture. We can't give it the same weight as this book. Amen. But it's interesting. It says that whenever Rebecca passed a house of Torah, a place where God was exalted, where, where the people there uh, worshiped the Lord of heaven, Jacob would be stirred up and struggle to come out, to be born. But whenever she went past a, a house of idolatry where idols and demons were worshipped, Esau would be stirred up and he would struggle to come out and be born. And I thought to myself, isn't this the same struggle that all of us feel? When you come to church and you hear good preaching and good worship and the Holy Spirit moves, what do you want to do? Man, I want to live a righteous life. I want to live for God. I don't care about the world. I just want to honor my king. And we long to worship God. And that man of promise in us is stirred up and he wants to come out. But what happens when we leave this place? And we go out into the world and we find temptation out there. Esau, the man of flesh, is stirred up in us. And he wants to come out. Esau's love for the things of the flesh nags at our soul and claws at our mind. But the man of flesh shrinks in the presence of God, but grows in the presence of the idols of this world. That's why, again, we come together in a prayer meeting and we're so ready to purge sin from our lives and serve the Lord. We make our vows of repentance as, uh, as the Jacob grows in us in the presence of the Lord and we're ready to surrender all to the word of God. But Monday morning starts, and Esau once, begins, once again begins to assert himself. And so if we're to take hold of the birthright, the power and promise of our inheritance is co-heirs with Christ. Jacob must overcome Esau in each one of us. So again, for a few moments, let's examine the characters of Esau and Jacob to understand what the man who receives the birthright, who walks in the blessing of God, looks like. But I will begin with Esau because he was born first, just as the man of sin existed in us before the new man was birthed in us through Christ. Genesis 25, starting in verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Genesis 25, 27 through 29 tells us that Esau treasured hunting. Because Esau was known to be skillful in hunter, it can be assumed that he spent a large amount of his time hunting. A large amount of his focus, a large amount of his energy went into being out in the world. The fact that Isaac, his father, loved to eat the results of Esau's hunts validated the younger man and or the older man and his love of hunting. When a man does something with all his might, it points to where his interests lie, what he loves doing. How many of us love a particular activity? You got something in your life that you love, and if you could spend all day doing it, wouldn't you? And so we see what Esau loved. We see where his mind and his heart was. It was out in the fields hunting. 
The interlinear Bible renders Genesis 25-27 as, And Esau became a man knowing hunting, a man of the field. Vine's commentary says, This word often represents the open field where the animals roam wild. The verse could literally be read as, Esau was a man of the wild. It indicates where he felt most comfortable. But it also speaks to his nature. He loved to be free and to run wild. He felt at ease in a world without responsibility, a world where he could take what he wanted so long as he had the might and the ability to do so. He treasured this world out in the wild, uh, out hunting, out with, in the forest or in the fields where the game was instead of the tents and flocks of his father Isaac. At home, if you can imagine, he would have had to tend to the sheep and goats. He would have to spend long hours directing servants and addressing the needs of the tribe. In the wild, he did as he pleased without thought for others. By treasuring this wild existence over his birthright, Esau displayed how irresponsible he truly was. Now, as a parent, would we want to bequeath our wealth to a child who is not preparing himself to govern it? It would be like the prodigal son, who we read of later in the book of Luke, who took his inheritance and squandered everything. He didn't care about home. He didn't care about all his father's hard work and everything that had been passed down to him. A prodigal son like Esau was not disciplined and not trained to govern his inheritance. And so if most of Esau's time was spent out in the wild, how would he have been able to tackle the responsibility of governing flocks and herds, gold and silver, servants, donkeys and camels, as well as being the family's head and leader? Just as we earthly parents long for children who treasure their inheritance, so does the heavenly father long for children that will uh, love uh, and treasure his inheritance. And so we can see that Esau was a man that was governed by his flesh, by his wants, by his desires, by the things that he liked. Genesis 25 says, verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He despised his birthright, his inheritance. He didn't want it. It wasn't considered a big deal to him. Again, he comes home from this hunting trip. He's... He's faint with hunger. His flesh craves a meal. He sees his brother Jacob with a pot of stew and he, gives, he says, give me some of that. His flesh was screaming at him that unless he ate, he would die. But would he have died? Probably not. 
How many of us, when temptation comes, our flesh says, if I don't have that, I'm going to die. I've got to have my fix of sin or my flesh. It's just not going to survive. How many of you would actually die? You see, if he had taken just a moment to think about his inheritance, he never would have made such a rash decision. Surely that was not the only food in such a large camp of a very wealthy man like Isaac. It was merely the first food he came to. Esau, the favorite of his father, could easily have gone to his father and told him, Hey, Jacob won't give me any stew to eat. What do you think his father would have done? He would have fed him. But he didn't want to wait. He couldn't wait. He wanted an immediate gratification of his fleshly desires. He thought he had to have it right away. And so by his reply to Jacob, Esau showed that he had little grasp of the worth of his birthright. In fact, he valued his comfort far above his inheritance. He said to Jacob, in effect, look, if I survive, this birthright might be, you know, an important thing. But, you know, right now, because my stomach hurts and I'm hungry, I'll sell it for whatever you got to eat. In essence, he considered his birthright no more worth no more than a meal. And so Esau could not have... Not, could not be bothered to have patience or to deny himself for the sake of this very important thing. And so here's a spiritual lesson to be learned. If you are marked by a need to satisfy fleshly or sinful desires, then you better be careful because you're not going to receive the birthright or the promise of God. God can redeem you. God can change things, turn things around in your life. But you cannot expect to walk in the birthright, the blessings of God, if your life is focused on all the fleshly sinful things. It's worthwhile to note that Esau sold his birthright when he came in from hunting and had his blessings stolen from him when he went out to hunt. He lost his entire inheritance while doing what he liked most in the world, being out in the wild hunting. Now, please understand, there is nothing wrong with hunting. We're talking about spiritual things here. But there's a spiritual lesson in Esau's single-minded pursuit of his physical desires. Again, if you pursue, pursue the desires of your own fleshly, sinful heart, you will not receive the inheritance or the blessing. But Jacob, by comparison, was a man that saw the true value in things. It would ensure that the years, uh, he, would, he would endure years of hard work to obtain it. We read of how when he found a woman that he fell in love with, he agreed to work for her for seven years. Now, guys, she must have been special, right? Seven years of waiting, of working. And then he gets tricked by his uncle. 
And my father preached on this story uh, uh, recently, and he said he married the, after the wedding, he found out he married the older, ugly sister. And guess what he had to do? He had to work another seven years for the one that he loved. Fourteen years of hard work and waiting. That's a man that will endure, that's got his eyes on the prize and says, that's so much better than any shortcut. It's so much better than anything else anybody can offer. I'll work for 14 years for that. You see, Jacob was a man of promise not only because of the prophecy, but because he took hold of the promise of God for Abraham's descendants and considered it something worthy of being treasured. All the wealth of his father was nothing in comparison to the promise of God concerning the descendants of the family line through the birthright. You see, Jacob understood how uh, the promise would affect the generations to come. What did we sing a few minutes ago? May the Lord bless you to, and to your children and to their children and to their children for a thousand generations. Jacob could see down the road and he said, this birthright, this is an important thing. This is a thing to be treasured. And you see, he wouldn't allow it to fall upon his brother Esau, who despised it and who would squander it for a bowl of soup. You see, Jacob, I think, always kind of gets, gets a bad rap. You know, Jacob actually means, his name means supplanter or heel catcher. It's like we get this picture of somebody that trips somebody up. He's kind of like a cheat. I don't think that's the picture at all. You see, Jacob, he knows what his brother's like. He knows his brother's character. He knows the importance of the birthright. And he says, when Esau comes in and he, he sees this opportunity, he says, I'm going to put this guy to the test. And he's asking me for a bowl of soup, and I'm going to say, listen, I'll give it to you if you sell me your birthright. Because he knows if Esau will sell him his birthright for a bowl of soup, who else might he sell it to? Who else might walk away with that birthright? And so Jacob says, uh-uh. Uh-uh. If he's not going to pass the test, then I'm going to take it. Because it's not just about me. It's about my children and my grandchildren and their grandchildren and their grandchildren to a thousand generations. And so he purchases the birthright to protect it from his own brother. And he receives the favor of the Lord because of his love for the birthright. And so in this, we see the difference in the spiritual character between Jacob and Esau. Esau, again, I've, 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 I've hammered it home over and over again. He was a man of the flesh. He needed to be satisfied immediately while Jacob was willing to endure for the promise of much better things. Esau's heart again was in earthly treasures while Jacob loved the things of God. Jacob would have died of starvation to ensure he received the birthright. While Esau could not see past that immediate temptation to eat. 
Now, if you know the story, Jacob, of course, has his moment of weakness. How many of us are prone to moments of weakness? Jacob had secured the birthright. But now his mother desires for him to receive the blessing as well. You see, there was a birthright that would come to the older son. But then the father would pass down a special blessing to the older son. Jacob had already bought the birthright. Now his mother says, listen, go get the blessing too. Now he acts like his brother Esau, seeking an earthly blessing. Because, you see, you have to understand, God was going to bless Jacob. And he didn't need to steal anything from his brother. So he goes into Isaac's tent while his brother Esau had gone out to hunt once again. His father had said to him, listen, uh, Esau, I'm getting old. I'm about to die. I want to bless you. But before I do, go out, find something, kill it, and make me some of that stew that you make so well. And so while he's gone, uh, Jacob sneaks in. And instead of purchasing the birthright, he lies and he steals the blessing from his brother. You may remember they were very different men in more ways than one. Esau was all hairy and, and Jacob wasn't. And so his mother says, quick, while Esau's gone, go kill some goats and make a stew. And he says, but dad's going to know it's not me. And he says, she says, it's okay, I've got it. And she takes the skins of the goat and she places it on his hands and arms and on the back of his neck. You see, Isaac at this point in life was blind. And so he goes in to see his father. So here again is a spiritual lesson for us. Jacob was called at one point a perfect man. Our translation, translators, for some reason, have chosen to translate it as a plain man, but the first uses of the Hebrew word is a perfect man. Jacob, the perfect man, goes and dresses so that he appears to be like his brother. How many of you understand if we have been born as a new creation, we have put on Christ? And we are clothed in his righteousness and in his holiness. And how much of the time do we go out and temptation gets us and we put on rags of sin over that righteousness and holiness? And we dress up like the old man. And this act of sin on Jacob's part, he goes in, his father, he says, boy, you sound like Jacob, not Esau. And he goes in and gives him a hug and a kiss and he feels the hair on his arms on the back of the neck and he says, oh, I guess it is Esau. Thank you for the soup. Let me give you the blessing. Jacob steals it, and it has devastating results as it tears the family apart. Jacob, he's forced to flee and never sees his mother again after this because Esau is prepared to kill Jacob for his offense. He is devastated. He says, first, you took my birthright, and now you're going to steal my blessing. Jacob runs and he has to endure the wicked idol worshiping schemes of his uncle Laban. And if Jacob had just waited on the heavenly father, he would have received a blessing far more valuable than anything an earthly father can give. But Jacob's character and his love for the promise given to his father Isaac and to his grandfather Abraham turns the Lord's heart toward him. Are you thankful for the mercy and grace of God? 
that when we screw up and we put on those old filthy robes of sin, we can just go to the Father and say, Lord, forgive me. And if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful to forgive us. And so God's favor once again turns back to Jacob and he's blessed in everything he puts his hands to. He is faithful with the flocks of his uncle, even though his uncle is wicked. And God restores the earthly inheritance and wealth lost because of his sin. And Jacob becomes a very wealthy man here on earth. And then finally he journeys home. And you may remember the story. We find one of the strangest events in all of the Bible. Jacob encounters a man. And just out of nowhere, they begin to wrestle. I don't know. Can you imagine just be, meeting some guy out in the desert and like, hey, I know what we should do. We should wrestle. The Bible says in Genesis 32, starting in verse 23, he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. And then suddenly it just says, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. This word wrestled uh, in Hebrew is called retzev. Uh, we talk about it a lot in doing Krav Maga. It means continuous combat. Now, can you imagine? Continuous combat all night long. You're wrestling. You're fighting. You're grappling. You're punching each other. You're kicking each other all night long. Listen, most of us will be done after a minute or two. It says, And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now we have to understand, this is the Lord he's wrestling with. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob, all night long, God, you are not getting away from me without blessing me. It's not going to happen. I'm going to wrestle with you and wrestle with you and wrestle with you and demand that you bless me like you have promised until it happens. I'll endure. And again, Jacob's character comes to the forefront. His unyielding desire for things more valuable than fleshly concerns propels him to continue on till he receives something of eternal value. Jacob wrestled with God, and even when the Lord wounded his hip, can you imagine you've been wrestling all night, and then the guy hits you, and your hip pops out of socket, and you're like, I don't care. I don't care about the pain. How many of you understand wrestling with God creates pain sometimes? It's not all rainbows and sunshines and little birdies tweeting on your shoulder. He won't let go until the Lord blesses him. If it had been Esau that night, what do you think Esau would have done when the Lord punched him in the hip and knocked it out of his socket? He'd have said, oh, Lord, please, I can't go on. You got to heal me, God. 
You can't expect me to live life like this. I'm going to die if you don't bring my flesh relief. Man, like Jacob would say, whatever it takes, I'm going to endure. I will not let go. What is a limp in comparison to heaven's riches? What is 14 years to obtain something of eternal value? What is it to struggle through the night into the blessing and not let go of uh, until the, uh, till the dawn, until till the Lord blesses you? Jacob became a ruler, a prince, a king in the eyes of God as his name, his new name, Israel, means prince of God. You see, his faithfulness and unyielding character resulted in Jacob receiving the birthright and receiving a blessing from heaven's throne that will far eclipse anything he could have known here on earth. And I absolutely believe that God will bless all those who endure to obtain and honor the heavenly birthright that he has granted to us through our covenant with Christ who shares his birthright and his blessing with us. Amen. So who will overcome in you? If in each one of us there is an Esau and there is a Jacob, a man of flesh and a man of promise, who is going to overcome in your life? Remember earlier I said one of them has to die. Jesus said whoever will follow me must take up his what? Cross daily. What is a cross for? It's to kill someone. You see, we have to die. The old man has to die for the new man to grow to maturity in us. Is there a price for your birthright? Can it be bought? You know, Adam, the first man, he was given this whole entire planet, the whole universe, if you will, as his birthright. And he sold it for an apple or a piece of fruit or I don't know what it was, but you get my point. Esau sold his for a bowl of stew. Can your birthright and blessing be bought? What is the price for your soul? Do you value the inheritance of God more than any other thing? If you do, then you need to take hold of God. Wrestle with him through the night. And say, God, I'm not letting go. And when Esau begins to rise up, that old man begins to rise up when you, you say, no, 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 no. Get back on that cross. Die. Because I value the things of the Father in heaven more than I do the things of this earth. So this morning I want to close with a verse from the New Testament, Matthew 6.21. It says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, that was Esau's problem. His heart was out in the wild. That's where he was. You could tell. 
Jacob, his entire life, stayed in the tents of his father. He was tending sheep. He was tending goats. He was watching after camels and donkeys and cattle and whatever else they had. He was preparing to receive the birthright, the inheritance, the blessing. And so when the day came, he was ready for it. Where is your heart? Boy, I could go all sorts of places that I don't even have in my notes this morning. I talked about it earlier in the year. The evangelist Tommy Zito talked about, um, you know, what is it? Most Christians attend church less than half of the Sundays in a month. Where is our heart? How many hours do we spend in prayer? How many hours do we spend in worship? How many hours do we spend in God's word? How many hours do we spend doing ministry? And I know we got to work. Amen. I know we got things we have to do and accomplish. But where is our heart? One who has the heart of Esau loves the wilderness of this sinful world and will lose the inheritance and blessing of the Lord. One who has the heart of Jacob will endure and forsake the sinful world and work for eternal treasures in heaven. And I believe the Lord most assuredly will grant him the birthright and the blessing. And so may you endure to receive the inheritance as co-heirs with Christ. Amen. Just stand as we close this morning.